When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to All the Books, a weekly show of recommendations and enthusiasm regarding the week's new book releases. This is episode 309, and today we are talking about books being released on May 4th, 2021, and more. I'm Liberty Hardy, here with Danica Ellis, and we're coming to you from bookriot.com. Danica, hello! Hello! How are you? Good, how are you? I'm alright, reading lots of books. It's kind of gross here right now. It's 70 and it's dark and it's raining, which doesn't seem fair. So it's like a million yeah. degrees in my office, but that's fine. I, I'll, I'll, I'll take it. And uh, how are you? How's the Book Riot life? The uh, working for Book Riot as like an actual like job? <laughs> it is great. It is, I think, my dream job. <laughs> I, I still can't believe I get to just talk about books all day and write about books and edit book posts. It's, I think, what I am meant to do. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Are you like, oh, and I want this book? Oh, and I want this book? Well, I have worked at a bookstore for 10 years before this, so I've become pretty used to that. Yeah. I feel like that's just my life is that I always have literally thousands of books on my TBR list that, yeah, I don't know. Am I ever going to get to those? I don't know. But the list makes me feel like I could get to them one day. <laughs> it makes you feel invincible. You know, mm -hmm. like, I will always be here because I have these books to read. Exactly. Yeah. I have the busiest May I've ever had coming up. I think I have 27 Zoom events on the calendar oh, already. Geez. And... So last Tuesday was like my last day off that I had where I didn't have to do anything. So I'm like, I'm going to get up and I'm going to read books all day. And then I sat down and like for three hours, I looked up books that I wanted to read. And I was like, "Ooh, what's that? And started making these lists. And then <laughs> it was like afternoon. And I was like, I haven't even started reading yet. But it was still fun. I mean, mm -hmm. it's what I do all day anyway. You know, we'll be watching TV and I'll be like, oh, I meant to write that book down. And I'll like get up and go in my office. You know, my husband is very used to me just like standing up. 500 times while we're watching shows or like pausing and be like oh i have to remember the title of this book can you just stop it for a second he's very used to it he's never watched a show all the way through with me oh. once ever <laughs> it's i'm just like i have ideas i have ideas about books so i have to say this is not book related in any way but I like to watch shows after the entire season is available. So, like, sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, on Netflix or Hulu, they'll put up, like, a whole season, and I'm like, yes, and I will marathon watch it all right then, because I'm very impatient, and I like to know the answer to everything. Mm -hmm. But I broke my rule for Mayor of Easttown, which is airing every Sunday night on HBO Max. I really wanted to watch it, because Kate Winslet is just, she's everything. And mm -hmm. now I'm really mad at myself, because I watched the first two, and I'm like, I want to know what happened right now. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I'm so mad at myself. I'm like, why didn't you wait? That is the risk. It's really, really good, though. It's like Happy Valley in America. I mean, there are mm. a lot of people are like, it's just Happy Valley. It's like, yes, there are a lot of similarities. But I found it to be excellent. I'm currently 
on my third back-to-back watch of Ted Lasso. I just oh. can't get enough of it. <laughs> I think, what is it, July? The new season's starting? Yeah, I'm so excited. Yeah, that's like, we need more like positive, happy shows like that. Right? Speaking of positivity, you have something you want to talk about. But before we do that, we are going to hear from our first sponsor. Okay, Danica. Yes. So at the end of the episode, we always ask if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. But today I am hoping that you will leave, if you have read a book based on all the book's recommendation, if you could leave us a review saying what book it was and what you thought of it, please do that. It helps the show, but also I'm just nosy and I want to know. So I hope that you will do that. (laughs) Yeah. In case like you're wondering, like we always ask why we always ask you to leave reviews. It helps algorithms and it helps Mm -hmm like bump the show up in google searches and it and it does all kinds of amazing things for us so we appreciate all of you out there who have left reviews in the past and in the present so many of you leaving lovely reviews lately saying how all the books is helping get you through the last year and that breaks my heart but also makes my heart so warm to hear Mm -hmm. you know i'm sorry that we have to help you get through anything but you know at least we're all together so um now we're gonna talk about books though Hooray! It's going to be awesome. I've been waiting, just like last week, I've been waiting like a year to talk about this first book. It is Realm Breaker by Victoria Aviard. I love this book. It is royal stabby fun. Uh, Aviard is known for the Red Queen books, which I have not read, but I'm definitely going to pick them up now because for some reason, you know, everyone's like found their thing during the pandemic. Mine is like royals and fantasy with lots of backstabbing and trickery. Like, I'm so into these books right now. Uh, This one is an action-filled YA fantasy novel, and it includes a ragtag group of humans, both mortal and immortal. I know people are always looking for, like, found family and ragtag group, you know, beating the odds. Well, this is that book. They are trying to stop an evil immortal from destroying their world. Basically, just because he can, he's like, yeah, let's do this for funsies. Uh, And so they have to stop him. The beginning of the book is this epic battle where the good guys show up and they're going to confront the evil immortal. And he brings out a huge army of the undead, opens up this thing called the spindle, which I will explain to you in a minute what a spindle is. And they are outnumbered and things go horribly, horribly wrong. And the squire to one of the good guys escapes with his life just barely and returns to town with the news of what has happened. And also, he has something that the evil immortal needs. The main character is this group. There's an assassin. There's the squire. There's an immortal, but like a good immortal. There's the secret daughter of a pirate and immortal. Um, the pirate's daughter, she really wants to go out to sea. And her mom's like, no way. You know, I'm a pirate and I do bad things and you're not coming with me. You're not going to be a part of this. And she doesn't really take her seriously also. And so, but the daughter, she's determined to do like what she wants to do. And then they get news of, like, what's happening, and these armies are coming, the world's going to be turned into ashes. And so together, they're going to have to fight the undead. They're going to have to fight monsters. They're going to have to fight immortals. And it's all to keep the pirate daughter's evil uncle from opening this spindle and turning their realm into a world of ashes. Now, as best as I can describe it, and as I can remember because I read this a year ago, a spindle is like this sort of portal thing to another world. And the way it's described, it kind of reminded me of, like, think of, like, Buffy when she kicks Angel into hell, except that 
it's also described as like being super skinny, like a needle, and very tall. So it also reminded me think of the Eye of Horan. Um, so many nerdy things being referenced right now. But there are different spindles that open in different places. Like there's one spindle in the book where a guy can stick his arm like literally like through it and pull out a handful of gems. Like the whole world is like full of gems. Imagine if there was one for books. That would be awesome. Oh, now I'm getting off track. But this is the first in a new series. But don't worry. It does wrap up nicely at the end while also leaving readers, you know, clamoring for more. You're going to be like, oh, what's going to happen next? I loved the characters in the story, especially the assassin. And I love how there is so much action. So many battles, so many monsters, so many chases. And there's also something that happens in the middle that I really loved. I mean, I jumped up and was like, you got me, because I did not expect that. And that was so exciting for me. I love it when things happen that, you know, I didn't expect. And that doesn't happen very often, having read a lot of books. Uh, So I was super pumped for that. I do want to give a content warning for epic fantasy violence, you know, monster fighting, undead fighting, that kind of stuff, gore, murder, and death. It is Realm Breaker by Victoria Aviard. I mean, stabby royals and pirates in the same fantasy book. That's yes! just good right <laughs> Sea monsters. What else could you want? That sounds perfect. I'm so into this right now. <laughs> my first pick is one of my most anticipated books for this year, and that's Meet Cute Diary by Emery Lee. This is a YA novel about Noah. He is 16, staying with his older brother over the summer while his parents find a new house as they move from Florida to California. Noah is mixed race. His mom is white and Japanese, and his dad is Afro-Caribbean. He is also trans and mostly gay, as he says. His family is accepting, if a little bit clueless. But Noah has a secret online life where he runs the Meet Cute Diary. It's a Tumblr blog where trans people submit their meet-cutes anonymously. They're all adorable love stories about picture-perfect meetings and happily ever afters. They help give trans teens hopes that they can find their own happily ever afters. They are also all fake. Noah writes them all using real-life locations and sometimes strangers as inspiration. He is a romantic, and he believes he's doing the world a service by keeping up this blog, except that someone is on to him. He has his own devoted hater who has started a blog detailing every reason the stories can't be true, and followers are dropping like flies. To make matters worse, a stranger discovers his secret. One of the guys he used as inspiration for a meet-cute story calls him out on it, asking if he runs the blog. Noah confesses to Drew, who is a cute teenage bookseller, and tells him about the whole situation. Unexpectedly, Drew proposes a solution. They fake date. Noah can say which meet-cute was theirs, and they'll post pictures of them together, officially proving that love and the meet-cute diary is real. Noah is all in, especially because he is a genre-savvy main character, and he knows exactly what this means. Fake dating inevitably leads to true love. I really enjoyed this story, especially in how flawed Noah is. He's a bit of a snob, he doesn't want to get a job, he puts a lot of value in his clothes, he can be judgmental, especially when it comes to first impressions. He also gets grouchy pretty easily about things like having to be outdoors, and he can be self-absorbed. I still absolutely loved him, though, and I was rooting for him, but he's a realistic teenager. I appreciated the exploration of the Instagram version of a relationship versus reality. Love can be messy and unexpected and a little bit awkward and be all the better for it. 
Also, as someone who basically lives on the internet and has spent more than my fair share of time on Tumblr, I appreciate the very realistic internet drama, the accusations, defenses, and how people reacted to something they love getting criticized. This also includes discussion of microaggressions, whether about sexism or transphobia or racism, like Noah having trouble exploring his Japanese roots because anything Japanese has been treated like a fad or a joke. There is a side character who definitely steals the show. E experiments with different pronouns and is between gender labels. E is also asexual and androsexual and anxious and also adorable. Also, there are really cute illustrations at the beginning of each chapter, just like the ones on the cover. My only complaint was being able to see pretty far in advance where the story was going, but that's also a result of Noah having some tunnel vision, which is definitely part of his character. I do want to give content warnings for a discussion of attempted suicide and transphobia. And again, that's Meet Cute Diary by Emery Lee. It seems like the number of fake dating books has doubled. Fake dating books and uh, food competition books. Yeah, Um, which I'm all for. It's great, yeah. (laughs) Mm-hmm. But in, I was going through the catalogs last night, and I think I came across, like, three that were like, so-and-so needs to be on a food competition show, but they don't have a partner, or, you know, they're competing people on a food competition show, but they might like each other. It's amazing. <laughs> I'm really into this. Just giving the people what they want. <laughs> yep. It's because, you know, Great British Bake Off, Nailed mm-hmm. It, all those shows are so big right now, so yeah. it's really fun. I wish there was more Nailed It. I They only had like six, right? six episodes, five episodes that came out at the beginning of last month, and I watched them all that day. Yeah, me too. Ugh. It's so good. But at least there's more TV to always watch. Uh, I do actually read books, though. I do. I, do. <laughs> I just don't ever sleep. So speaking of books, I'm going to tell you about my next pick, which is fantastic. It is Great Circle by Maggie Shipstead. It is this enormous, century-long, continent-spanning new novel from the author of Seating Arrangements, which is a book that I think we may have talked about on the show. It might have come out before the show, but I love that book. I didn't read her most recent one, but this one, oh, the best. I'm going to tell you about it, and this doesn't include any spoilers. These are all in the description. You'll see what I mean when I start talking about it, why I want to tell you that. It is about a woman named Marion Graves. Uh, she was raised in Montana She and her twin brother, Jamie, they were saved as infants from a tragic accident, and their uncle raises them in Missoula, Montana in the early 1900s. It's like 1914, I think, when it starts. And Marion wants nothing more than to fly planes. She's obsessed with the idea of getting in the air, which is, you know, hard for her because she doesn't have the money for lessons. She doesn't have a plane. She doesn't have access to a plane. She's a woman, and she eventually finds a patron who gets her a plane and gets her her lessons. But it's kind of like making a deal with the devil because he's not going to turn out to be a good guy. But she achieves her... She wants to do this because she wants to achieve her ultimate goal. She wants to circumnavigate the globe by flying over the North and South Poles. Like, this is her big dream. Now, the novel actually opens in the present day, almost. It's 2014. And we meet Hadley Baxter, who has been cast to play Marion in a movie about Marion's disappearance in Antarctica. So that was like what I was telling you about spoilers. Like that's the story. It's right there in the description. So we know that Marion disappeared in Antarctica. 
Um, and so Hadley has been hired to play her in the movie, but she's also having a hard time in her own life. She's so like tired of being a celebrity. She's tired of the rumors, the invasion of privacy, the fakeness of the people around her, and she's having a really hard time. And this book immerses us in the lives of both of these women, their passions, the danger in their lives, and their fates, and how they're kind of intertwined almost. I loved the characters. You know, Marion is so fantastic. She's really well plotted and well sketched out. You know, we know all about her and her emotions and her desires, and she's so compelling. There's also her shy artist twin brother, Jamie, and there's some story with him. Uh, there's her navigator, Eddie, and it feels like this book is 600 pages long. So there is enough story for everyone. We get to meet all kinds of great characters. Um, and it covers a lot of history, world wars, bootlegging during Prohibition, the 1950s, the present day and celebrity and the pitfalls of celebrity. And I also, I love the title because it has more than one meaning, you know, like great circles around the world, but also like these women at a crossroad in their lives who like come around a hundred years later. And also, you know, they both figuratively want to fly, and literally get to fly. Uh, so I thought it was fantastic. I wanted to give content warnings for mentions of war, chemical use and abuse, suicide, sexual assault, and homophobia. This is Great Circles by Maggie Shipstead. Wow, that sounds like a really far-ranging book. <laughs> like It sounds like it covers a ton. It is. It's very ambitious, but... She totally sticks the landing. Is that a plain expression? I think it is. I didn't even mean to do that. <laughs> Yay. I thought it was gymnastics. Is it? <laughs> I was thinking of like a landing gear. I was like, all right. See, I don't know anything. I just read books. <laughs> okay. So my next pick is a middle grade novel. And that's Last Gate of the Emperor by Prince Joel DeWitt McConan and Kwame Mbalia. So this is a sci-fi story set in an Afrofuturist Ethiopian empire. It gives me a lot of Star Wars vibes, so if you know a middle grader who loves Star Wars, they will probably enjoy this one. We are following Yared, who lives with his uncle. They are constantly on the move, relocating whenever anyone really gets to know anything about them. This has always been Yared's life, though, so he doesn't think too much about it. Doesn't everyone have a secret entrance to get into their home and have an elaborate series of booby traps inside of it? It doesn't matter, because Yared has a best friend and a passion. His best friend is a bionic lioness, which was honestly already enough to sell me on this book. His passion is an augmented reality game called The Hunt for Caleb's Obelisk. The only problem with it is that it's not strictly illegal, which leads to him sneaking out of school to play in a tournament. He is one of the top two players, which means he has a good shot at the huge cash or burr prize. It's a little bit like Fortnite, but slightly less violent, and it's augmented reality. It's a battle royale with hundreds with a shrinking game field. You go through different levels, all in the attempts to find the obelisk, ending up in a head-to-head -head of the final two. When he gets there, though, the rules have changed. He needs to register with his legal name, something his uncle has forbidden him to share. And he has to have a partner. Determined that the cash prize will be worth his uncle's ire, he agrees, and ends up teaming up with his nemesis, the other top player, a girl with the username The Ibis. 
Unfortunately, before they can reluctantly join forces to win, Yared is hunted by a terrifying three-story-tall robot monster. Snapping turtle head, rows of shark teeth, axe heads for hands, glowing red eyes. You get the gist. And that tears apart the floating marketplace they were playing in, and he barely escapes with his life. Now he, the Ibis, and his bionic lioness are on the run, encountering questionable allies, discovering family secrets, and doubting everything. This is a book that drops you in the middle of this world and never stops to take a breath. There is a lot of new vocabulary included, some of which I'm sure is referring to Ethiopian terms I don't know. It's action-packed, making it a quick read you won't want to put down. It's also interspersed with transcripts of interviews that provide ominous foreshadowing because you are trying to figure out how he got caught. And there is an afterword about how the story was inspired by real Ethiopian history and Makanan's familial history, because Makanan is the descendant of the last emperor of Ethiopia. This book has two dedications. One to the Black children of the diaspora, you have always been the future, and one to all the children of Ethiopia. This is such a cinematic story, it's absolutely begging to be adapted into a movie. And that's The Last Gate of the Emperor by Prince Joel DeWitt McConan and Kwame Mbalia. All right. My next pick is Sorrowland by Rivers Solomon. You might know some of their other works, including The Deep which was with David Diggs and An Unkindness of Ghosts, which I know we talked about on the show. Excellent, excellent book. This is a sort of futuristic novel about a young black woman with albinism named Vern. She's living in a religious cult. She's like 15 years old, I think. And her abusive husband is the actual leader of this cult. Uh, And when she is seven months pregnant, she runs away uh, into the woods and hides out, and she gives birth to twins who are named Feral and Howling, which is awesome. Just great twin names. And she's going. she wants to raise them in the woods away from this community, but the community is looking for her. Her husband is looking for her. They're not ready to let her go. Uh, And after Vern has her babies, she begins to experience bodily changes and hallucinations. And she goes off in search of people that she can trust, including her former best friend, Lucy, who escaped the cult years before. And this book follows, you know, Vern and the decisions she has to make. She has to face her past. It's a a violent, dark past. And the future is going to be hard as well. And this is, you know, what will she have to do to be free and to take care of her children? There's a lot in this book. uh, There's a lot of content warning, so I don't want to say much more about it. But it's an examination of the use, abuse, and killing of black bodies. You know, it has messages about racism, about slavery, about America's history including the treatment of black people and black women especially. It sounds very dark, and it is, but it's also amazing. Um, You know, Solomon is an incredible writer, and it has amazing queer rep. It's a compelling story. It's a remarkable writing. And, you know, like I said, it does have these messages, but they're important messages, and they're not, like, they're, they're not beating you over the head, you know? It's like you're reading this, and you're like, this is a really good way to express this. I mean, it's fantastic. So... I do, like I said, it has a lot of content warnings, Um, so I'm going to say them now because some of them are are very upsetting just to hear, so just be ready. Uh, There's animal death, self-harm, child abuse, chemical abuse, gaslighting, pedophilia, drowning, sexual assault, torture, brainwashing, non-consensual medical experiments and medication, homophobic slurs, and suicide, and I don't even know that I remembered all of them. 
And as always, we always encourage you to do some more digging if you are look interested in content warnings for a book. You know, we try to cover them here, but you know, please, if you're worried, do some more uh, looking into them on your own. But this book is excellent. It's so good. It's called Sorrowland, and it's by Rivers Solomon. That was one of the books I think that we were fighting over because it looks amazing, but I saw you'd already claimed it. <laughs> oh, no! I didn't know we were fighting over it. I totally would have given it to you. Oh, just in my own head. But. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I, that's one place I haven't visited, so I couldn't tell you. But you know, next time, just say something. I'll, I'll give you the books. It's fine. Uh, so um, before we hear about Danica's next pick, we are going to hear from another sponsor. Okay, what do you have for us? Yes, my next pick is Stranger Care, a memoir of loving what isn't ours by Sarah Santillis. This is a book that I have trouble talking about because it's such a huge, complicated subject. It's about being a foster parent for a baby, hoping for adoption, knowing that she may not be able to keep the child that she loves and is raising. I want to preface this by saying that anyone interested in this topic should also read accounts from adoptees and people who have gone through the foster system, especially stories from Indigenous people and people of color. There is a lot of romanticization of adoption and this view of being a foster parent as heroic, but that often doesn't address how children get taken from families based on poverty, racism, and a lack of support for addiction or mental health struggles. It's a complex, deeply flawed system. And this book does discuss those flaws, but it's also from a white, well-off perspective. My other hesitancy about this book is that although it changes her name, it does refer to the biological mother's story, which includes addiction and abuse. And although the details are changed, I can't help thinking this isn't her story to tell. So why am I talking about this book? Because it's also beautiful, vulnerable, and heart-wrenching, and it's one of the most emotionally affecting books I've ever read. The first half is about deciding to adopt, training for foster care, and waiting for a suitable placement. Each chapter is short, usually just a few pages, and sometimes only one page. They are meditations on a subject, and often philosophical explorations or academic theory or an extended metaphor. There is an ongoing motif about nature and the different ways motherhood can look. There are also biblical themes. The author wrote a book previous to this about breaking up with God as well as anthropological facts about different cultures, they all seem to be her trying to make sense of an incomprehensible, emotionally exhausting experience. The portrayal of the foster system is as a labyrinth of questions and inconsistent information, a chasm between how it's supposed to work and the overstretched, burned-out reality. As I mentioned earlier, the author does discuss the racism in the foster system, including statistics. I was shocked to hear that more than 37% of children in the U.S. experience a CPS investigation by the time they are 18, and for Black children, it's 53%. She also talks about how CPS can be weaponized, about tenants complaining about Black mold or roaches and landlords calling CPS, who arrive and declare the living situation unsafe and take the children away instead of the landlords having to do something about that. The author and her baby decided to adopt as a compromise. She wanted a baby. He thought it was unethical to bring another child into the world. She felt that adopting a baby in foster care would be the most ethically acceptable way to have a baby. But she soon realizes that foster care is not an innocent space and that she is complicit in it. She also struggles with the limits of her privilege in this space. 
Nothing she does or says will make an adoptable baby appear any quicker or guarantee that they can keep the baby. This is a melancholy, painfully tender story. It's about empathy and yearning, stretching to put words to the knot of tangled feelings that she has. She talks about the difficulty of loving a child who you may not be able to keep, but also says, it's what we do every time we choose to love another mortal being. Someday we have to give them back too. I appreciated that the author led us into her thoughts even when they weren't admirable. She struggles with not being judgmental and trying not to root for the biological mother to fail so she can keep Coco or the baby. She goes into therapy and tries to be grateful for the time that they have, tries to remember that she believes that we should all take care of each other. My favorite part of this book was the fragile friendship that is built between her and the biological mother. After feeling so much resentment towards her, she realizes that Coco wants her to love Evelyn, the mother, so she does. She tries to offer support, and there's a beautiful, small Mother's Day moment. This is a heart-wrenching book about a flawed system. It also comes with a lot of content warnings because these meditations and metaphors go in a lot of different directions, including multiple discussions of slavery. So also content warnings for addiction, abuse, pregnancy problems, and animal abuse. And that's Stranger Care by Sarah Centillis. All right. It's already time for my last book. How did that happen? It goes by so fast. Right? Yeah. It's fun, though. I like it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> All right. Speaking of fun, my last pick today is what I like to call a delightfully nasty little book. It's a thriller, and it's just deliciously horrible. It's called Find You First by Linwood Barclay. And I went into this without reading a single thing about it because I knew I was going to read it. I really enjoy Linwood Barclay's books. I've read several of them. And then Jamie, one of our contributors, was... Like, this is so great, you have to read it right away. So I did. And I didn't even read the synopsis. So in the first chapter, something happened, and I was like, whoa, wasn't expecting that. But then again, I wasn't expecting anything because I didn't know what it was about. But it was kind of fun that way. So this book, there's something that happens in the first chapter, and then we go back three weeks, and we find out why that happened. And this book is about a tech millionaire named Miles Cookson. He started you know, out very small, worked really hard, got lots of investments, and now he's like a millionaire, and he's in the prime of his life, he's in the best shape he's ever been in, and then he finds out that he has Huntington's disease, which if you don't know what that is, it, the internet tells me, I looked it up, is a fatal genetic disorder that causes the progressive breakdown of nerve cells in the brain. It deteriorates a person's physical and mental abilities, usually during their prime working years, and has no cure. So he's just been given this horrible diagnosis, and he's devastated. You know, he's only 42. He goes through all the stages, you know, of, of grief and denial and anger, you know, like, how is this possible? But he also learns that it's a genetic disorder, and so it's very likely that um, one of his parents would have gotten it, but they died when he was young. They died in a, a car accident. And so there's like a 50% chance that a child will get it from the parent. And also his brother could possibly have it because he has a brother. Uh, so he's thinking about all this. And then he remembers that when he was 20, at the start of his business, he needed a computer. He didn't have the money for a computer. So he decided to make a donation out of sperm bank because he needed the money. And in fact, the money that he got from that bought him his first computer, started his business, and he really owes it all to that. And so 
you know, he's thinking about his life and, and what a shock it was to learn this news. And he goes to the sperm bank and he, he asks them, you know, for information. He said, you know, I have this, I have Huntington's disease and I, I want to let these children know if there are any children out there. You know, and they're like, well, you know, we're really sorry. We can't, we can't do that. But like I said, he has, you know, all the money in the world. And so things happen and he finds out that, you know, he is the father of nine children uh, and they're all in their early 20s. And he decides that he wants to give them his money. Like he has all this money and he only has one heir who is his brother, but his brother is married to this woman that Miles absolutely hates. She has like shady business dealings behind his back and he thinks that if he get if he leaves the money to his brother, she's just going to take it all away from him in a matter of of months and he will be without anything and he doesn't want to do that. So, he decides he wants to give his money to his nine children right now because he wants them to use it and also tell them about the the diagnosis because maybe they should get checked now, you know, and some of them might need this money, some of them might not. Uh, so he finds out who these children are and he's going to to contact them. Now, meanwhile, the book is also following the story of one of those children, although he doesn't know this at the time and she doesn't know this at the time. Her, na- her name is Chloe and she has just embarked on a quest to find her biological father. Her mother doesn't know who it is. Her mother won't tell her really anything about it. So she's interviewing people. And I read this amazing article about, you know, adoption and sperm donors because people are able to find out this information more easily now because of the DNA tests. You know, like you find out that you have this relative out there uh, and you can kind of you know, work backwards from that. And, and sometimes when people want don't want people to know and they don't want their privacy to be invaded like that. So she's kind of doing that. Like she's she finds out like she has this half-brother that she didn't know about. And she's talking to all these people. But then someone starts murdering the nine heirs. Not just like murdering them, but erasing them from existence as if they were never even there. And this is bad news for Chloe because she is one of those nine people on that list. And there are several possible suspects who could be doing this because that's a lot of money and people have lots of different motives. And then Chloe and Miles finally meet and they discover what is happening. But can they stop it? It's so wild. It's so, you know, I I don't mean this in a bad way. It's so unrealistic, you know, like I read those books where people have more money than than anyone and can do anything. And, you know, there are those people, but like, this is not what is happening. But it's so much fun. You know, like I said, I've read several of Barclay's books. Uh, most recently, A Noise Downstairs, An Elevator Pitch. And they're always really fun. I'm not going to, he has like 17 books, I think. I'm not going to tell you which one. But there was like one book where he killed the main character in the middle of the book. And I was like, oh, you can do that? I loved it. That was so great. So unexpected. Really fun. Did anyone ever watch Malice? That really, really old movie with Nicole Kidman and Bill Pullman and, oh good, Alec Baldwin. Like, something like that happens in that movie, too. Sorry to spoil, like, a 30-something-year-old movie for you, but that's when I first learned, like, wow, what a cool trick. Uh, anyway, again, off-topic, but you know that's how I am. Um, this book, really nasty fun. It is... Uh, oh, I'm going to give you the content warnings uh, for murder, violence, chemical use and abuse, accidents, illness, fires, sexual assault, bullying, and gaslighting. It is Find You First by Linwood Barclay. I love going into a book not knowing what's happening. I rarely yeah. do that now, but it's so much fun. <laughs> yeah, if I if like someone says to me you need to read this book, I usually do that because I, so more more and more I feel like the blurbs don't match up with what is happening in the book anyway. 
Like, yeah, I don't know true. why that is, but maybe I'm just getting to be like, you know, old lady yells at Cloud, but like, I was like this, this, <laughs> this doesn't happen until like the last 30 pages. Why would you even mention yeah. that? You know, so I just read them. Yeah, I want to go into a book just with vibes. That's all. I, yeah. That's all I want. All right, my last pick is called Luck of the Titanic by Stacy Lee, and this as you might have guessed is a historical fiction YA book set on the Titanic. The first page that prefaces the story is a historical fact that 6 of the 8 Chinese passengers on board the Titanic survived, which is a much higher rate than the rest of the ship despite being on the lower decks. We then go on to meet all eight Chinese passengers, which sets a countdown clock for readers, even as the plot for most of the book has nothing to do with the ship's eventual sinking, which I think is a great way to add tension. I have to admit that I know nothing about the 1910s in England, and what I know about the Titanic is mostly from the movie, so I have no frame of reference for how accurate this is, never mind how accurate the depiction of this mixed-race Chinese-English teenage girl on the Titanic is. The afterword certainly sounds like the author did her research, but I wouldn't be able to tell either way, and I'm also not the kind of reader to pay a lot of attention to that. I do like the occasional bit of slang that's included, but it's never distracting or difficult to read. This follows Valera Luck, get it, Luck of the Titanic? a half-white, half-Chinese-British teenage girl. She has arranged to board the Titanic to find her twin brother, who she hasn't seen in far too long. Despite having a ticket, she is refused at the boat because of the Chinese Exclusion Act, so she sneaks on board, narrowly avoiding being caught as a stowaway. Before the story starts, she has been working for an elderly, well-off woman who she convinced to book this trip for them. Unfortunately, her employer dies before the day of the Titanic's departure. So Valera ends up playing two roles. On the upper decks, she models fine dresses from a designer who helps conceal her true identity, shielding her face with a veil. She is posing as her former employer that people didn't actually know, and she becomes known as the Merry Widow. On the lower decks, she dresses in the boys' uniforms and tries to blend in with her brother and his crew as a coal worker. The whole reason for her stowaway status is to get back in touch with her brother. As children, they performed acrobatic acts for some pocket money. Their ba always had a get-rich-quick scheme, even though they never panned out. Now, both their parents have died, and they have just each other as family. Valera knows that someone on the ship is a higher-up at the Ringling Circus. If she can only convince her brother to perform with her, she is determined that they will be brought in as an act, and that the Ringling Circus will be willing to find a way around the Chinese Exclusion Act. The only problem is that her brother is perfectly happy shoveling coal on ships and has no interest in moving to America. Valera is sure she can sway him, and while she's at it, maybe she can figure out why she has recurring nightmares of her father in distress while her brother ignores him. This was a really interesting story about a plucky 1910s teenage protagonist. I liked how she and her brother were negotiating how they both viewed their parents, particularly their father, and what their relationship to each other should be now. Valera feels betrayed that Jamie left her behind, while Jamie was happy that she was somewhere safe. I'm not going to give anything away, but I will say that this book has an ending that I think some people will love and some people will hate, and I will leave it at that. I also want to give a content warning for racism as well as attempted rape. And that's Luck of the Titanic by Stacey Lee. All right. Those are our new books. What are you going to read next? 
Yes, I am reading another book that was out today that I tried to fit in, but I couldn't get to in time. And that's Counting Down With You by Tashi Buyan. And this is another fake dating book. <laughs> it's a <laughs> YA novel. And it has a Bangladeshi main character. And I know it takes place in the 28 days that her parents are on vacation. And she's trying to figure out her life and make some changes before they get back. But it looks really fun. I read the first few pages and was really interested in it. So I'm excited to keep going. You could combine that with 28 Days Later, and then it could be 28 Days of <laughs> Fake Dating Zombies. <laughs> I exactly. Just, I just came up with my next book idea. Um, well, I have just started Fault Lines by Emily Itami, which is a debut novel about marriage, motherhood, love, self, and the vibrant, surprising city that is modern Tokyo. That is me reading the, the description there. Um, and it's really, really good, and I'm excited to read it. It comes out in September. However... Uh, I am very weak, and I just received a copy of Please Please Tell Me Now, The Duran Duran Story by <laughs> Stephen Davis, which is coming out in June. And I am not ashamed to say that I will probably put this novel down to read that because I'm a, nice. You know, it's weird because I grew, I was born in the middle of the 70s, so I kind of grew up in the 70s, but I also grew up in the 80s. So I'm like, am mm -hmm. I a child of the 80s? Well, not technically, but also yes. So I do love Duran Duran. Um, and, and trivia, if you didn't know this... Uh, Neil Gaiman, the first book he ever wrote was a biography of Duran Duran, like what in the mid 1980s. Yeah, I think they sold I for like a bazillion dollars online. But true story. <laughs> um, so if you have one, you know, and, and you're looking for some cash, you could probably sell it. Uh, so <laughs> yes, but also again, I am very excited about Fault Lines too. I love debut novels. They're they're oh, so spectacular this year. Just all of them, amazing. Uh -huh. um, so that is it for us today. Thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to our awesome audio editor, Jen Zink. You can drop us a line at all the books at bookriot.com if you want to talk about Duran Duran. You can find Danica on Twitter at lesbrary, which is L-E-S-B-R-A-R-Y. I mostly hang out on Instagram at Friends and Comes Alive. And if you want to give us a treat, you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or review. It helps other book lovers to find us and tell us about the books that you've read that you heard about on the show. We love to hear it. Uh, and as much as we would love to tell you about more books out today, we just don't have the time. But you can read about more titles out now in the show notes at bookriot.com slash all the books, as well as find a link to our weekly new books newsletter. And for more recs or general bookishness, check out bookriot.com. And don't forget to check out our full stable of podcasts at bookriot.com slash listen, or just search Book Riot on your podcast player of choice. And in the meantime, happy, happy reading. reading.